literally, when someone has run your name down into the ground so much, you literally have no dignity left. Shall that separate you from the love of Christ? All God's people said, no. And as we've been discussing for the past, uh, this is the third week, we have some verses that we've kind of pulled out of context and taken into places where they really shouldn't be. So we have lots of trinket verses. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Obviously, you can't pick up a Buick. Amen? So we can't do all things. By all things, there's a meaning behind that verse, and we really need to take a hold of that so we can understand the true thrust and the true power so that as we apply the scriptures to our lives, we can experience what God has designed us to. So this morning, we are looking at yet another one of those verses in this section. So before we read, if everyone would just join me once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you that we can walk by faith and not by sight. It is a scary world that we live in to many people. Yet, Lord, if we think of all that you've done and all that you continue to do, and how you have not left us on our own, but you walk with us. Lord, help us to know this. Help us to trust you. And as we turn to your word this morning, we ask that you would do that thing that is so mysterious to us, whereby you take your word and apply it to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, helping us to have food for the weak and strength for the battle ahead. So we give ourselves to you this very hour and thank you. In Christ's name, all God's people said... Amen. So nothing separates. Part 3, Romans 8, 31 through 39. And it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. As believers... We will experience difficulties. The problem with even saying something like this is there is an awful lot of people out there that believe this is false. They believe that as soon as you come to Christ, all of a sudden life gets easy. Is that so? No. No, we know that. We know what God's word says. So we have this idea that As believers, we will no longer experience difficulties. And then when we do experience difficulties, we think, oh, wow, I wonder what went went wrong. I wonder maybe I didn't believe hard enough. 
You know, I think of the preacher that tried to blow coronavirus out of the United States the other day. I wonder if he didn't believe enough, if his faith wasn't enough, because that's what he professes to believe. We think sometimes, oh, well, maybe I just didn't believe hard enough. Yet difficulties are still here. As believers, we will experience difficulties, but we do not experience difficulties on our own as believers. So, a truth that we all need to have as we leave this place is that no one gets a pass on suffering in this life. No one. Even those guys with the bright white teeth and the multi-million dollar mansions, they still will suffer. If they are in Christ, they will suffer. There's no promise in all of the scriptures. If you find it, show it to me. It's not there. There's no promise of a pass on suffering in this life. It's just not there. You know, doing a little bit of reading for this week's sermon, suffering is spoken of in the New Testament, get this, 65 times. So if you and I are having a conversation together and I mention something, you think probably not much of it. It's within the context of the conversation. But if I start saying something again and again in a conversation, all of a sudden, maybe you're thinking, boy, he means something by this. Or maybe I have a conversation with you, and you begin to talk about your dislike of a certain thing, and you say it like 20 times in the conversation. I should surmise from this that you're trying to get my attention. Amen? So if God says something 65 times, we should tune in. Amen? Perhaps it's something important for us. You realize in the whole New Testament... 65 times suffering is spoken of, yet in the Old Testament, only 13 times. Interesting. Of the 65 New Testament accounts of suffering, much of the suffering spoken of is for us. Let's look at a couple of those this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1, 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, what does it say? Suffer for his sake. Everybody's thinking loads of encouragement this morning here. 2 Timothy 2.3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3.14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So the idea of a life free of suffering is absolutely and totally foreign to a believer. It doesn't happen. If you know a believer out there that is not suffering, it is only for a time. Suffering is promised to us. We are told how to suffer well in the scriptures and why we will suffer. So the victory that is being promised by megachurch pastors is heretical. I've listened to some of these sermons over the past few weeks. Um, I see an awful lot of people tuning in and buying books and loving this stuff, and I really wanted to know a little bit more about what it's all about. And really, what they're saying is, Christ's death on the cross is going to give you victory over everything. Sickness, over poor use of your finances. You know, Christ wants to give you victory over all these areas. 
But victory over suffering is not the absence of it. And this is the problem that we have in the West. We believe that true victory means no pain. Ask the person that wins the marathon. They experienced pain, amen? The people that go through all of these tests of strength and endurance to be able to accomplish these great feats, they go through much pain. Victory does not mean the absence of pain. So it's the promise we cling to in the midst of suffering. That's what victory is. So we have rungs that we can hang on to. All right? We have steps that we can stand on. God has given those to us. So what promise this morning are you standing on? Well, let me ask first this. What suffering are you going through in which you need this promise and which perhaps you're not hanging on to? Our verses this morning say this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? This is what this means. That has any real implications on the final outcome. So we read a verse like this, nothing can be against me, and we get all this confidence, and that's good. We ought to have confidence in God's word, amen? We ought to. We say, boy, nothing can be against me today. We think if we just have enough positive thinking, this is going to work out for us. It's not what's being spoken of here. Who can be against us with any real implications on the final outcome of our days? Who is it? Who can stand against you? Who? We all know this to be true. People will be cruel and vile, hateful, spiteful, angry. They will say all kinds of malicious things against you. They will try to run your name down in the ground. They will ruin your repute. If they can, they will. You say one thing people don't like, and all of a sudden there are a lot of people that don't like you saying a lot of things back to you. But all these things that they say, they can say all they want about you, they can drag your name through the dirt, does not change the final outcome. Does not. Look what it says once again, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So take this in for just a second this morning. The omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful creator of everything in existence, of everything in the universe. He's on your side. So who, in opposition to him, can have any real effect on your outcome? Answer? No one. No one. Who is it that possibly can say enough words to change your outcome? No one. But it goes on to say, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God the Father gave us God the Son. And what happens with the gospel message is we hear this again and again and we read our devotionals and we hang out with Christian people and this message becomes 
a kind of just something simple in our lives that we just do. We just talk about it. We become complacent to it. God the Father gave us God the Son. It says he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Parents, grandparents, how many of you would give up your kids or grandkids? No one. No one. We've got to be honest with ourselves here. We wouldn't give up those we love for anyone, but God did. God the Father gave up to give us God the Son. And it goes on to say, he will also give us all things. So the question is, what does this mean when we see all things? Does it really mean all things? All things? Are we talking about like a Lamborghini? A mansion? Stacks of cash? Because there are preachers out there this morning that are saying that is exactly what that means. If it be God's will, he will give you stacks of cash. We wonder why there's no room in the parking lot. I got to hear more of this. This is great. Is it really what it means, though? Does Paul mean that since Christ was given for us, that God will give us all the things we want? Is that really what God is trying to get to us here? Well, remember we talked last week about understanding these passages in their context. So Paul has not taken a break. All right, he's still talking about it in the context of suffering. What happens is we take a verse and then we lean in hard on that verse, but we pull it so far out of the context it no longer means what God intends it to mean. So what could happen here in this verse is Paul could have all of a sudden moved from talking about suffering to talking about the prosperity gospel. If you just believe hard enough, God is going to give you everything you want. Your faith is in the right place. You put enough money in the box, you're going to get a return like you will not believe. Paul did not all of a sudden switch the conversation up. If you were talking to someone like this and that's what they did all of a sudden, you'd probably think you were talking to someone who is insane. They're talking to you about one serious topic and all of a sudden they flip-flop to tell you about how much money you can make with this new scheme they have. You've all heard those. Isn't it amazing? People that we know and love all of a sudden call us up and say, it's not a pyramid scheme. All you have to do is get a couple friends underneath you and you can make money too. Just sell this product. There's no pyramid scheme here. Paul did not just shift everything to this. Paul is not shifting to a prosperity gospel where all of a sudden now every single thing you and I ask God for, he's going to give to us. And we know this. We want to believe differently, though. What is being said here within the context is God will give you all things necessary within the context of your suffering for his name's sake. So what does that mean? What if a Lamborghini is necessary for me to get through this suffering? You will have it. Amen? What if... You know, this, this thing you think is ridiculous, this is what God wants to use to get you through the suffering. I don't know how he's going to work. If you need it to get through suffering, he will supply it. I do know that. God will give you all things necessary within the context of your suffering for his name's sake. Does that necessarily mean 
at all that that's what you're going to end up with. But boy, I just really need this gigantic house. That'll solve all my problems. All God's people said, no, probably not. No, probably more, it's going to be the things you need in the moment to hang on. God is going to make sure that you have. And he will give you every single one of them. Everyone. Everything necessary. One of the things on this note that I love is the fact that we have so distorted the Bible that we now have a poor battle with our friends that are Muslims. Because we had the King James Version of the Bible, and many people in here have memorized most of the verses from the King James Version of the Bible. Good Bible. Nothing wrong with it at all. We don't talk that way. We talk differently now. So maybe it's easier for you to have a more modern version. I don't know. But something we did was we, in 1971, came out with the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. And what we did in that Bible was we took certain passages, like the last nine verses of Mark in 16. We pulled them out, and we didn't put those in that Bible. And uh, from John chapter 8, we, we stole, excuse me, chapter 5, we stole some of those verses out of there too. We didn't put those in there because not all the manuscripts have those. So we decided let's be on the safe side and not put those in there. And if you have an ESV and you look in the bottom of your Bible in John 5, you look in there in Mark 16, you'll see a little note that says uh, these verses are not included in all manuscripts or the oldest manuscripts or something like that. And what we have done there is we have people from different faiths saying, so which Bible is true? The one with these verses or the one without these verses? Which one? So we undermine the authority of God's word. We said, no, no, not this one, this one. And then you know what we did in 1981 in the NIV? We put them back. How consistent is that? So we pull these verses out. We said, these verses aren't in the original manuscripts. Then we come out with a new translation. We're like, well, yeah, they probably should be there anyway. So if you ever read the end of Mark says something really, really interesting. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you, and uh, you can just, uh, you know, later on in the day, maybe you want to look there and say, hey, I didn't even know that that stuff was there. There's some verses that, uh, that seem a little strange, maybe, to us. They seem a little bit on, on the, the end of hyper-spiritual. It's the last, excuse me, 16, 9 through 20 says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Should it end there, we would have been fine. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Does anyone in here hear anything fishy, funny so far? All God's people said, No. Now listen. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Friends, there are churches that are built upon these verses. This is what we're going to do. This is what it says. But what we do, what we always do, is take what we like and leave what we don't. So those churches that have taken and built their entire ministry off the end of the book of Mark and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have buckets of snakes up front. And if you truly believe, stick your hand in this bucket of snakes and you're not going to get hurt. Or who wants to drink this poison? Anyone in line? It does not mean that every single person is going to go and pick up snakes and not get bit. It does not mean that every person is going to drink poison and not die. What is being said here is in connection to the Great Commission. God will use whatever means necessary to get his word to the people that he wants to hear it. Amen? Whatever means necessary. Whatever means necessary. So when we see this same passage that we're looking at here, and it says, all things, literally all things necessary within the context of our suffering for his name's sake. Look at this next section. He who did not spare his son. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Literally, what's being said here is, There's not any person that can hold any charge against you that has any weight. Oh, well, what about this thing that he did? Doesn't matter. There's no charge that anyone can hold against you that has any weight because it is not that person that justifies. Who justifies? God. So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised... Who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Not only is it God who justifies, but Christ sits at his right hand and continually intercedes for you. If you are in Christ, he stands as your intercessor every single moment of every single day. Christ is there, right there. So now we get to this section. Nothing separates. What exactly does that mean? It literally means nothing separates ever. There is finality in what's being said here. Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. There are seven forms of suffering that are spoken of here. So this is all continuing to be in the context of your and my suffering. When we suffer, when we suffer who can separate us from, from the love of Christ? Seven forms. Tribulation. Pressure to conform to something in various forms. So tribulation literally is like being squashed into a box 
to change and, and think and believe and act in a particular way that is different from the way you're thinking, believing, and acting now. It is pressure. So when you read about the great tribulation, that actually is what's happening. It is pressure against God's people. Shall tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? No. Distress. Narrowness of space or when your world is caving in. Literally, when everything around you is falling down. Everything. Divorce. Car troubles. I mean, you, you, can, you can throw this whole list. Cancer. When everything is crashing down around you, can this separate you from Christ's love? All God's people said loudly, no. Persecution. Literally. Persecution for the name of Christ. So again, not... I had a flat tire today. It seems like devil's trying to get me, keep me from getting to work on time. That's not what's being talked about at all. It's when you're specifically being persecuted or come after because you are a Christian. Shall that persecution separate you from the love of Christ? All God's people said, no. How about famine? When there's no food in the land and you are facing starvation, not even in that moment, not even in that moment, we be separated from the love of Christ. Nakedness. Literally, what's being spoken of here is not just you lost all your clothes. All right? That is nakedness, as we all understand it. It's a loss of complete and total dignity. So literally, when someone has run your name down into the ground so much, you literally have no dignity left. Shall that separate you from the love of Christ? All God's people said, no. Danger. If you ever listen to Voice of the Martyrs radio, there are people that are being baptized in the Middle East. And they are going down into the river. And as they come up, they're being executed on sight. And we think, wow, what bravery. They are brave. You know who's even more brave than the person that's being executed on sight? The next person to put their toes in the water, knowing the same thing is going to happen to them. That's the danger that we're speaking of here. Shall that danger, shall a hostile world coming at you separate you from the love of Christ? All God's people said, no. Or the sword. We think of the sword, we're like, we live in the United States. Unless you're in my house. Sword's there. Swords. What about sword? It's literally the threat of death. Shall your life being put on the line, someone saying that they hold their life, your life in their hands, shall that separate you from the love of Christ? All God's people said, no, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. If you read through the book of the martyrs, you will read about a group of heroes, apostles, followers of Christ, those that when they stepped up to the plate, stepped up to the plate and lost their lives. They're quoting this Old Testament verse. This is literally being happen, is happening as he's speaking. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Christ wasn't the last person to be crucified. The Apostle John was boiled alive and lived you know what's worse than falling out of a building? 
living. Living with the repercussions of that. John was boiled alive. How many people here hate getting burned on their finger? Are you with me? My goodness, it takes forever to heal, doesn't it? Imagine your whole body. And then John was cast out in the Isle of Patmos to die. Left in the wilderness by himself. Friends, we need to understand, this is serious. When it says that we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, this is what people are speaking of to us from the scriptures. This is what the, Paul, what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying this is what was being, this is what is happening at that time. The apostles were treated shamefully. Romans 8, 35-39. no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get this, please. Nothing can separate us in the midst of suffering from God's love through Christ. And, you know, as we have discussions as the church and we're talking about different things that are happening in people's lives, there is a lot of suffering happening. A lot of suffering. Talk to some missionaries and uh, this current pandemic that's going on has caused a lot of suffering in their area. We think we have it bad here in the States just having to wear a mask to go into a grocery store. I know everybody hates it, but we're talking about presidents in other countries that will come into Christian compounds and execute you on site because you don't have a mask on in your home. That's suffering. We're talking about the underground church in China where people are being drugged out of their houses, children, and asked to recant on the faith that they were taught and what they believe in, and they're standing strong. What can separate us? Nothing. In the midst of our suffering, which is the context of what Paul's talking about, in the midst of our suffering, get this, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not even our dying breath. Nothing separates us from God's love through Christ. Christ. 